Hello and welcome back to Insemination, the podcast of all things donor conception. My name is Laura High, your chaotic sperm donor baby of the podcast world. I am so excited that you all are here today. I always say that, but I am really excited because we now have the final part three, the conclusion of my genetic testing with Dina DNA. I am so excited. She is going to be reading my results from my very first genetic testing panels. I'm excited. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. I um, I know that knowledge is power. I know it is, but I'm very nervous. And but so I'm excited that we all get to do this together. And I'm excited that you all can see what this process was like. So to see if that you are interested in it as well. Um, before we get the episode started, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, please like and subscribe um, to the podcast. Leave a review. Those kinds of things really help within this world. Please follow me on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, on uh, threads, on Facebook. My handle is at Laura High Five or just search Laura High H-I-G-H. Please remember that this podcast is filmed. It is put on YouTube if you are a visual learner like myself. So you can watch it, not just uh, not just listen to it because I get distracted way too easily with that. Um, and also, please remember, I am a stand-up comedian and do perform all around the States. Uh, you can find my show schedule www.laurahigh5.com. I've got some wonderful shows coming up uh, uh, through the end of November and the beginning of December, although I believe that this will be, I think this podcast will be um, published right at the beginning of December. So I have some great shows coming up in December and I'm already booking some road work for next year. So hopefully I am coming to your state. Uh, but you know what? Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Dino. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excited and nervous to hear my results. I, I have to say like I'm because everybody listening, I've not, I don't know what's about to be said. This is, we are going to be discovering my genes together. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm excited because I will have information and I know information is power, but I, I, I'm, I won't lie. I'm a little like, oh shit. Oh, I'm clinging, clean, clinging on to the ignorance is bliss right now, but I know that that's going to be a uh, gone in, in, in a mere minutes, but <laughs> I know okay. <laughs> well, I'm just, I just want to put it out like ahead of time that there is nothing that's going to drastically change any of your medical plans. Oh my so God, you can okay. take a deep breath before you start. I like to, you know, make sure you know that right ahead. So you're not like, Ooh, okay. Okay, what next? Yeah. So, so there's nothing in, um, everything that more, most of the things that were found are really more for your reproductive risks that we're going to be talking about. Um, okay. Yeah. And there's a few things that are, uh, that might have some bearing on your own health, but, um, nothing too drastic. So, um, so let's start with, we're going to start with the cancer panel because, um, that one we looked at, let me just get the total number. So I, um, had put together a panel, um, of a whole, about, uh, like eight, it was like 80 something cancer genes and then a hundred genes that are um, proactive. So there's different with the lab that I used at the time, yeah. you were able to put together your own panel. So I put together the, the proactive that I usually offer to people who are adopted, donor conceived or don't have a family history. So those okay. are the common hereditary conditions. Um, 
and and then the cancer stuff. And so with the cancer stuff, the other reason we did the cancer panel was because of your pituitary adenoma, right? Yes. The, and we and I wanted to make sure you didn't have one of these multiple endocrine neoplasia syndromes, and you do not. So those tested negative. Okay. Very good. Huzzah for me. Yes. So just reminding you, so there, you know, people can still have it without testing positive because there are, you know, 30,000 genes in our genome, 20 to 30,000. And we only tested, you know, a little under 200 for this panel. So, um, so there's still a possibility of something, but for what we know today and what our current technology can detect, you do not have a mutation that would, um, okay. you know, cause yeah, we'll, we'll take it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, we haven't explained, you know, why you had that, but at least we know that you don't have one of these detectable MEN okay. conditions. Um, and then you also, you know, because you have, um, some Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, and we know that BRCA is, has a 10 times yes. rate in that, um, that was tested. That's negative. So you don't. Okay, that was the one that I was concerned about. So, oh, okay. So that's a huge sigh of relief. That okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Um, and then all the other cancer genes that were tested as well. So. Oh my god. Point, okay. Yes. So that's, that's so. Yes. So the cancer panel was negative. Um, the you did have something called a variant of uncertain significance. Do you remember that we mean? talked about that a little last time? Okay. So basically, when we when I ordered these genes, the laboratory um reads through all the genes that I order. So it looks, it reads through them, sequences them, looks for little pieces missing or added. And um, and typically they know which versions of genes are normal and which versions cause disease. Because from looking at, you know, thousands of genomes and looking at people with disease and without disease, they're able to know which ones are normal and which aren't. One pretty, actually pretty often, we they'll find um, something that is a version of a gene that's less common. Mm -hmm. And if it's less common, there's not enough evidence to prove that it's normal variation even though most of them are normal variations. So um, that's when we call a variant of uncertain significance. And most of those are just normal variation, but they just need to be found in more people before we can say that it's absolutely negative. Mm -hmm. So only about, in my experience, only about like less than 10% of those actually end up being upgraded to pathogenic or disease causing, but the vast majority of them are downgraded to benign as more people get tested. Okay. So- that this is common. Almost everyone I test with the big panel will get at least one VUS. Um, okay. But so so it's not something you need to worry about. I will watch it over time. I put it in my system, and so and then the laboratory also will send me a new report when more people are found to have this particular variation. Okay. Um, and I looked at the variation. It doesn't look like it's something that is concerning. So a lot of times, what I do when when I see a VUS, actually every time. I will look at it in the uh, this big database called ClinVar, um, and I'll also look at how other labs are interpreting it. And this one was interpreted as um, pr likely, probably, uh, it looks more neutral than another change. So the actual okay. gene change doesn't look very suspicious to me. Um, so that's something we'll watch over time, but probably doesn't mean anything. Now I apologize. I I maybe it was. But did you said it was specifically that this was something to do with my ovaries? Was was that? No 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 no. This one is 
it's associated. So the gene is called PDGFRA and it's uh, associated with gastrointestinal stromal tumors. So it's nothing you have. Okay. Um, and usually I don't even like, I usually tell people not even to look up what it is usually because a lot of these are going to be benign variation. Okay. Um, if it was a variant in MEN, which causes pituitary adenomas, I would be a little more suspicious, but Got this it. is, this is one that first of all, has a lot of variants in it. So it's not that abnormal to find a VUS in this gene. Um, but also it, it just, it's something, again, it doesn't look suspicious to me. So okay. I think most likely it's just a random neutral change that just, um, that just happened like somewhere okay. in your family line. And it's less common in our population databases and therefore can't be called benign. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Yeah. And then that's something that anybody, like I said, everyone I test gets like at least one of these because I do big panels. That makes um, sense. Yeah. And I do like a, a deep dive and this one didn't look suspicious. Um, and I'll continue to follow it. And if for some reason it does get reclassified as pathogenic or disease causing, I'll reach back out to you and we'll talk about what that means. Okay. I, I hope I only get follow-up calls from you to just yeah. be like, Hey, I'm coming to New York. What's that? They got, that's what I yeah, hope, not yeah. this. Yeah, no, it's very unlikely this is going to be anything. Okay. Um, yeah, I most most often these get downgraded and then you're they just get taken off the report. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that one is not so worrisome. Um, the other one that was found, and this one was also on the carrier screen, is um a, a mutation or a pathogenic variant in the gene MEFV, which causes familial Mediterranean fever. Now that is a recessive condition. So okay. if you remember, we have two copies of every gene. Yes. And if someone in a recessive condition, if you have one copy not working, but the other copy working, then you're a carrier. And yes. if you have both copies not working, then you have the condition. So this is where um, we're kind of shifting into the reproductive stuff. Because if you, you know, you're, you're a carrier and your partner is a carrier and you both pass down that um, abnormal version of the gene, then your child could have the condition. So this is, so with familial Mediterranean fever, um, this is a, it, it's a condition you definitely want to have your partner tested for basically. Okay. Yeah. And all of the recessive ones will, will, will sw switch gears in a second. Okay. The reason this was on the proactive panel is because in some cases, people who are carriers may experience um, more fevers than normal because it's a cyclical fever. It's a periodic fever syndrome. So you can be a carrier and like there's there's studies showing that in some cases, people who are carriers may be slightly affected. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. So um, I can't remember if you, I think I saw in the notes that someone in your family had fevers. I mean, I had a lot, I feel I had a lot of fevers as a child. Okay. I definitely okay. had a lot of fevers as a child. I feel like I had more than normal. I might be wrong, but it felt like I, I was sick with fevers way more. I, I had a crap load of strep throat. Yeah. Okay. So I, and we don't know that could have nothing to do with this, or it could be like, this could be one little piece of that. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know, but that's why we have this gene is on the proactive panels just to have that. So like, if you had told me, you know, I do get these 
fevers more often in, in adulthood um, or not in adulthood. Had, no. Okay. Yeah. So if you, if you had any of these kind of weird um, symptoms, then I would kind of be, I'd be thinking more about maybe looking a little further into this, but okay. um, I don't, at this point, I don't think it's something that um, is as important for you as it would be for, okay. you know, your, your family planning. So, um, so that's another one, that one, the mutations in that are common in people of Mediterranean descent, and then also Jewish descent. So that there's a good chance that's from your, the Ashkenazi side, Okay. Um, or I don't think you have any other Mediterranean. Uh, no, Mediterranean. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's that one. So the thing about these, like, when we say, okay, this is more common in one population, that doesn't mean it's non-existent in another okay. population. It just means that it's less common. So absolutely, it does not matter what your ancestry background is. And a lot of people Got don't it. know their ancestry anyway. So that's why these pan-ethnic panels, meaning, you know, giant panels that are the same for everyone, mm -hmm. uh, makes this testing more equal. Uh, because then everybody gets tested for the same things because uh, we don't know, you know, what someone's going to have. And even if something's rare, it's still possible. So yeah, absolutely. Anytime someone carries anything, their partner should be offered testing for it, it. regardless okay. of their ancestry. Yeah. So that, but then we're going to go to the carrier screening because there's more stuff on the carrier panel. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yay. Yeah. But any questions on, so that was the proactive part. No, so that, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, so, so those were those results. So cancer panel was negative, um, proactive stuff. It was just the MEFV mutation. And then let me open the other one. And then you might, I'm going to have a, a minute of dead space. Hold on. <laughs> we're good. Uh, you know, in, in this little dead space, while while Dina, uh, brings this up, how, how is everybody doing today? Are we, we doing happy? We doing healthy? Uh, please remember to subscribe to insemination wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, because we, we, you know, th that kind of stuff helps us, you know, get higher up on a le the leaderboard, um, leaderboard in leaderboard. So, uh, please make sure that you also like, leave us a review, all that good stuff. And remember that this entire podcast is also filmed and put on YouTube. If you are a visual learner like myself. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. I have the other result. Okay. So, so this is the carrier screen and this one looked at 569 genes associated with recessive disorders and a few okay. associated with X-linked as well, which is a little bit different. Um, and so you actually are a carrier for five different conditions, okay. uh, which happens like every normal hi every yeah no it's 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 uh a lot of people carry conditions okay. and it's really it's really not a big deal because okay. most, most humans carry something um and the the question is just is is what you carry on this test right because like every time a human is created or is developed um there's going to be some random genetic changes that happen and yeah and usually they're in areas or places that probably don't matter, but when they're in a gene that actually affects the function of that gene and that gene is, is that function is important. That's when, you know, it, it can cause disease. So, um, so basically, yes, every human carries a number of different genetic variants and everybody actually 
every human carries lots of variants because there are some that are benign, so many of them are benign. And that's what makes us so unique, right? Yeah. And that's why like every ancestry group has different variations. And that's how we do testing for ancestry is looking at all those variations. But most of those variations don't cause disease. They're just normal, you know, different versions. It's like, I like to think of it as like um, recipes. If you ask a bunch of people to give you a chocolate cake recipe, mm -hmm. no one's going to bring you the same recipe, but they're all going to be chocolate cakes at the end. Right. And that's how our genes are too. Um, so there's no perfect version. There's no normal version. And that's why we have so many genomes in our research databases to look at kind of a consensus of what is quote unquote normal. Um, so does that, <laughs> does that make sense? That totally does. Okay, good. So, so basically what I'm trying to say is yes, it is. There's no like normal or abnormal that, um, it's, you know, definitely we see people that carry lots of diseases and then we see people that don't carry anything that's detectable, but this is a big test, right? So not everyone gets such a big test. Okay. I think, I think it's great to, to do this big test. And I think, you know, um, there, the more you do, the more you're going to find the more, you yeah, you know, right. so, so that's one of the reasons that there's so many. So, okay. um, but I think so the result is definitely going to be, my husband is definitely also going to be getting tested. A hundred percent. Yeah. I 100%. think that that's, that's going to be the result of this. No matter a hundred percent what needs to be done. And okay. I think you should have a big panel like this too, just to make sure. But well, um, I think you're going to be getting another call from us very shortly after <laughs> this episode going, Dina, how, how do we set this up? Yeah. 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 Perfect. And then the, the cool thing is that when your partner does it, there's like a really, it's much less, um, I think they do it for like a hundred dollars to add on your partner, something like that. I have to, I, I think we're going to be, yeah, just, we're yeah. going to write a check immediately and just go, all yeah. right. I mean, no one writes checks anymore, but I think we're going to, we're going to, we're going to send you some money ASAP over and go like, yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is what's going to happen. Let's just, let's just sign this up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it might even be less than that, but it's, it's easy to do. And then what they'll give up me, one of the reasons I really like um, working with this lab is they give me a uh, like a, a, a combined report. So it'll show you both of you and like who carries what and if you match and then what the residual risk is. Mm -hmm. Meaning like, you know, sometimes we don't detect something on a genetic panel. And yeah. so there's some residual risk that you could still carry it. Yeah. Um, but even though that's really low. So anyway, that's a cool chart, you know, we can go over, but for okay. now, great. we'll focus on you and, and what All right. Hit me with your best shot. Let's do it. Yes. So, okay. So the first thing um, is that you are a carrier of cystic fibrosis, which is very common in people yep. of European ancestry. Mm -hmm. You carry the very common allele called Delta F508, which is the most common one that we see and it that causes the disease cystic fibrosis. But again, you only have one copy. So the other copy of your CFTR gene is working normally. Um, so very important, again, to get your partner tested. The other thing about this, and this is something that is newer in the research, is that people who are carriers of CFTR or cystic fibrosis um, may sometimes also exhibit slight symptoms. And so there's a higher chance for something called pancreatitis. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Okay. So it's basically this chronic inflammation of the pancreas that can cause um like extreme pain issues with digestion. Uh, people go to the ER a lot with this like abdominal pain. That's un, uh, that, that it's hard to diagnose. Okay. So if you were to have 
a bout of extreme pain and they can't figure out what's going on, um, you can let them know that you you are a cystic fibrosis carrier and you know there's an in- increased risk for pancreatitis. Okay. And then target that, right? Um, All right. I used to see a lot of these patients in clinic, a lot of the chronic pancreatitis patients. And um, it was very difficult because a lot of them had this like undiagnosed abdominal, these abdominal like attacks of pain. And it, it, there are some of these people that end up in the ER a lot and sometimes are not taken seriously or they the medical system thinks they're seeking pain meds, right? And and really they're in a lot of pain because they're oh, having shit. pancreatitis. So okay. yeah, so it's good to know this information because having this information can then um, at least give you this like... A, a paper that says, Hey, I have this increase. Take risk. me seriously, please. Exactly, okay. Exactly. All right. But yeah. yeah, no, it's if I'm, but I, that's really good to know that there can even be side effects of even being a carrier. Yes. Um, that is really good to know. Cause that, that wouldn't have been something that I would have even thought of that. There are side effects if you're a carrier, but yeah, with that alone, absolutely. My yeah. Dave needs to get tested. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yes, that's the reason. So so the personal risk part is so different than the way we used to present this even like a few years ago, mm-hmm. because a lot of times when you think about um, people being carriers, you're like, oh, they have no disease there. It's a silent carrier, right? Um, but now with more like knowledge and more people getting tested and more people being studied, we know that there some of these conditions you can have slight symptoms as a carrier. So now they're starting to be reported on these reports, mm-hmm. but we're in this kind of transition phase where we have to kind of rethink the way we think about carrier screening because there is this um, chance of the person who carries the mutation having some symptoms. Yeah. Having something, right? There's another... Um, recessive condition that if you have two copies, it's a very severe disease called ataxia telangiectasia. But if you have one copy, it's actually a cancer risk mutation. So there's a lot of uh, instances like that, that people Mm -hmm. don't think about that can come up on carrier screening. So I guess to everyone listening, just thinking about how carrier screening is so important for reproductive risk, but it's also important to talk to someone that understands the results and can interpret for you if there is personal risk for absolutely you know, what you carry um especially in x-linked disorders you don't have um any of the x-linked that we're going to go through but a female assigned at birth um who is xx if one of the x's carries a mutation then she may have some subtle symptoms where if it's a xy person who's male assigned at birth then they would um they would have the full-on disease. And so a lot for a long time, we thought that X-linked carrier females weren't like they were just carriers, but a lot of those conditions actually do affect the female. Um, so just another thing to put okay. out there. That, yeah, that is something that's important to know. But okay. anyway, back to your results. <laughs> so so the CFTR was the first one. And okay. then there are, um, there's you are also a carrier for something called congenital disorder of glycosylation. Uh, there's nothing. That's a mouthful. That, yes, yes. And then factor 11 deficiency, which is a form of hemophilia. Um, and then okay. the, the familial Mediterranean fever, FMF, that we talked about before. And then uh, tyrosinemia, um, sorry, tyrosinemia type 1. So 
those are all conditions that are not known to have any effect on you. So those are okay. That was my next that, question. Yeah. They don't have any effect besides the familial Mediterranean fever, what we talked about. Okay. Um, but the, yeah. So the rest of them are, um, pretty much known to be pretty silent carriers. Um, and so that the most important part about these conditions about carrying them again, getting your partner tested. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, we, we will do that. Yeah. Perfect. Dave is unfortunately out of the room, but otherwise I'd be like, Dave, just, just, just give her your credit card number now. Yeah. (laughs) No, all good. All good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on that later, but, but yeah, so, so definitely I think all in all, it's really amazing that you did this because obviously if you were to, um, you know, not do this testing and then, you went on a child and let's say he's a carrier for CFTR as well. You could have a child, you know, a severe um, disease. Um, So, so this is really important. I think every single person that is going to get pregnant should have this testing. So I'm really glad that you did this regardless of, because the thing about carrier screening is that people don't have a family history of these conditions because they're recessive diseases. Mm-hmm. And so you don't see them in family history until, you know, you, you match with someone who carries the same, you know, a chain yeah. in the same gene, and then you have this kid with the disease. So, um, so that's why, like when we talk about family history with carrier screening it, that's not as important. Um, so yeah, so it's really great that you did this for your reproductive risk. And I think that this is something that like, again, I I mean, as you said, I think this ideally in a perfect world, um, I think this is something that everybody should do. I think this is very good information to have, but do I encourage all of my DCP and NPEs and donor conceived people to please, 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 if you can do this financially, I really, really advise you to do this. Um, and I would encourage recipient parents, this is something that you cover for your donor conceived child. Um, or if I have adoptive parents out there, please do this for your um, um, please do this for your uh, adopted child. Uh, I think this is absolutely something that that, that this is something that should happen. Um, yeah. Or, or you can ask if, if carrier screening was done on the donor. That's another thing that's really important. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> you, you know what I'm going to say to that going like, I don't know if I would rely on that, but. Okay, 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 uh, yeah. E- yeah, so so here's the thing when, when we think about this. So when you adopt a child or when you uh, adopt an embryo or when you use a donor, um, like egg or sperm, and then you have a baby from it, we don't typically offer this type of testing for children. But, you know, like, I think there's some, there's some gray area there because, you know, it, it is, it, as we've talked about before, uh, without knowing any history, it is uh, scary and, um, and not as equal to, to not have this history for one baby, but have it for another. So I think that there's definitely room to grow when we think about like the ethics of testing yeah. children. Right. Um, and so I think this is a topic that is going to become more commonplace. Yeah. Um, there are certain institutions that are actually doing huge panels on babies and looking for anything that would affect their their own health. 
Um, so like there's, I think there's a study called like baby seek. And then there's another one. Um, I forgot who, but I'll send you some of the information, but that it is something that is, can be done with research. It can be done, meaning that you wouldn't pay for it because if you're enrolling in a research study, then they pay for it. Yeah. Um, and then also for carrier screening, when you're planning, when you're doing family planning, it's typically covered by insurance. So that's something like if you, I think we, we talked about this last time, but if finances is an issue, that shouldn't be the only barrier, you know, that shouldn't be a barrier to getting this. So there's, again, there's financial aid available, mm -hmm. there's insurance coverage typically, but if for some reason it is just impossible to get, um, it is only a few hundred dollars out of pocket. So not thousands of dollars. Can I, okay. Um, okay, Laura, edit this. Hold on. Wait, I had a, oh. God damn it. God damn it. Where, where, where? The, the answer fell. Where'd it go? The ad question. Oh, fuck. What was it? Oh, okay. So Dina, in, in the same way that you were saying, like, ask the, ask the bank, ask the clinic if, you, you know, if they do a carrier screening. And obviously, you know, everybody, you you know, the things there's no regulations around this. So please, you know, always, always be careful. And what one thing that I would suggest to all of my intended recipient parents, I would also uh, suggest this to donor conceived people if you're trying to get information from your bank or clinic. Um, one, I would always suggest try and keep everything in writing. Always get emails. Emails is how we have evidence and proof. Um, but Dina, what would you suggest if recipient parents or donor conceived people were trying to get more information from their clinic or bank about the genetic screenings that they do? What what should be the language in in which they ask? Like, do you do a carrier screening? Do you like specifically what would be the things? Oh, that you good question. Get? Good question. Yeah. Yeah. So you can say, did this person have a carrier screening panel? How many diseases or how many genes were on the panel? Was it sequencing or was it genotyping? Because that those are very different technologies when we're doing this. Um, so knowing that information is going to be really important. And then asking for a copy of the report. I know that the thing is, if when it's anonymous, I'm sure I'm not sure how the banks handle that with the names, like maybe they'll take off the name on the report, but at least they can give the report or like the, the genetic results part of the report. I will say, like, uh, uh, again, this is um, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure because I'm like everyone handles things like a little bit differently and how I would say they label things. Um, but a lot of the banks charge extra for like an in-depth like medical history on the donor which is like absolutely absurd that they charge extra for that i know yeah I, it's absurd no it's absurd yeah you pay for the vial and then you also pay for the medical history oh that's crazy um they might offer like you know you can get your basic donor profile but but to get like an in-depth medical history yeah a lot of them charge extra which is it I, again this is it, it's so absurd to me that they do that's that if they even have it right <laughs> That's it. Even if, I'm like, that's the thing. Like you're paying for something that really might not be accurate because well, so much of it is self-reported, but what you're referring yeah. to is the genetic testing. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so what Dina said, please rewind, please listen to that again. But what I would specifically do is ask those questions in an email and then get an email answer, get everything in writing and you save those emails. I will say personally for me, 
how we've been able to get um, help for recipient parents. We've been able to, uh, you know, in terms of like legally or help them out or expose certain things is if we have hard evidence of something, if it's in writing. So that is why I encourage all recipient parents say get everything, save every scrap of paperwork they hand you. Um, because hopefully you never have to touch it again. Hopefully you never need it. Hopefully you are never giving me a call because everything is fine. But in case you have to call me, you want to make sure everything is, you have a copy of everything that they've said. So, and I think that that's a very, very good question for you to ask because worst, like, hope this never happens to you, but let's say you ask that question to them. They say, okay, yeah, we do all of this. 10 years down the line, you find out, oh my God, they didn't. You have it in an email to prove that this is what they said. It's very important to get these things in writing when we have this little, um, when we have so, so few regulations in place. Yeah, I like that. I think um, the other thing to uh, two other tips, hot tips. I love is- a hot tip. Yeah, yeah. The a lot of uh, banks will have a genetic counselor that works there, and you can have a discussion. Usually, you can ask to speak to the genetic counselor or, um, or like ask certain questions. And and you know, most genetic counselors are very um, open to talking to patients and and answering questions and explaining things. And so I would say that's another thing is you can ask to speak to the genetic counselor that works at okay. the bank. Um, the other thing too, to remember is that even like, so these carrier screening panels pretty much grow every year because new genes are added. Um, sometimes genes are taken off if they're found that they're actually not helpful. Um, but, but they do expand as we learn more, as we get more information, as our technology improves and the price goes down. And so, what somebody had as a carrier panel 10 years ago, even even five years ago, is so much smaller and different than carrier panels now. Um, they used to do genotyping, meaning that they were looking only at the common variants that they knew about in these genes. Um, and and now they, they, they do sequencing in some cases. So they're looking at the whole gene. And so there's there's pros and cons to both of those technologies as well. Um, so with carrier screening, it is, it's important to remember that it changes so often. So most likely by the time a child is like even 10 years old, their panel that was done on their donor is going to be so out of date, right? Because it's been years later. So that's another reason why, like, I'm, I'm thinking this whole, the the movement towards allowing everyone to get tested or population yeah. testing, regardless of history or ancestry, um, is so important because yeah. it will level the playing field when it comes to understanding risk assessment. So, uh, yeah, just something to remember that even if you're, even if your clinic or bank did everything possible at that time, it still will not, will not, you know, yeah. um, It'll be obsolete in a few years. So, and they're obviously not, they're not going to be retesting every year, the donor. Yeah. So, um, so it's just something to remember as well that, that, that's, they may have done what was right at the time when the donor came in. Uh, absolutely. And I think that that it is a very important thing is that donor profile that you have is a snapshot. 
Mm-hmm. It is not yeah. a living, breathing picture. It is a snapshot. This does not you 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 to that is how they are right now, um, and that is why the genetic testing and getting it done by, in my opinion, again, and this is just very personally with me, you know, how, you know, in dealing with the banks and clinics, the fact that Dina is not tied to a bank or a clinic, the fact that a lot Mm -hmm. of genetic counselors are not, I do think is safer. Now, Dina, one of the questions that I'm asked a lot, and I don't know if you've had experience in this, is has a parent bought a vial of sperm um, from a bank and said, Dina, we'd like you to test this? Is there like a way for you to test a donor from a bank? Because a lot of parents have asked me that. Okay, so great question. So you can't test uh, sperm uh, okay. because it's a single cell, right? So it's, um, so once you test that particular, every each sperm will carry a different set okay. of things, right? So- Oh, of course. One yeah. sperm, you're right. So, so even you can't t- just test one. It's not a sample of the rest of them. So, so the answer is you can't test a, a sperm vial and expect it to be the. Um, it's not. They don't all have the same genes in them. That makes a lot. Of, I didn't. Of course, as soon as you say that, it's like, oh, of course, Laura. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're all going to be different because of the way that like, um, when, when sperm's being created, the way that genes, like the, the two chromosomes are recombined and, and restructured, um, which is why, you know, sperm is a lot, I mean, it's a lottery. So which one gets done? So yeah, you can't test a sperm and even testing an embryo, you have to grow it out to a certain amount of cells. Mm. So you can't, you, it's the same with an ovum or an, an egg cell. You can't, you can't test those. Once you test those, they're gone. So, um, so that's why when we do, when there's embryo testing, it's a biopsy of a few cells of an embryo, usually, usually a blastocyst at this point that is like a hundred cells already. So, um, so then, you know, that for the most part that will reflect the genetic code in the embryo, but yeah, you can't. So that's why when we talk about testing donors, it needs to be the person who donated because then we can get a whole picture, right? Because this okay. only carries half of the the genes needed to create an embryo. So, um, yeah. So you you have to test the person to know what the chance of them then passing down a condition is. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So is there so. If this is like an anonymous donor from a bank, they're like, I wanted, I mean, obviously I do not encourage whatsoever anybody to use an anonymous donor, but like hype or, but even an open ID at 18. Um, If this is a donor from a bank, there is no way to take like, and unless you literally have physically have that donor to be like, here, can we test this person out? There is no way to take any information, any DNA that from the banks. The only thing that the bank will have is sperm and bring it to you and be like, can we verify any of it? There is no way to do that. It has yeah, to, you, would have, you have to physically would, bring the donor in. Yeah, you would have okay. to ask, talk to the donor. That's why, um, that's why you you know talk to the when it's anonymous, then the bank is in charge of, okay. of you know that test, and a lot of them do do genetic testing, and then they'll they can um, bring that information to the recipients. Okay. Um, but I will, I will just preface this with, you know, again, I don't work at any bank. I, I know every bank works differently. Yeah. Everyone does different testing. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of friends that are genetic counselors at different banks and they really do try to advocate for, um, 
both the donor and recipient and just making sure there's that everybody's getting what's best for them. So I, yeah, I think it's, um, it's important to, yeah, talk to that bank's genetic counselor who can, and there's, there's a whole group of genetic counselors actually who work in, um, donor, uh, gametes. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of them out there. I, I don't specific, I don't, um, specialize in donor gametes, but, um, but that's why I like, I test the people once they're born and, uh, you know, I have tested donors before who people who wanted to be like egg donors or sperm donors. And they came to me independently saying that they wanted to show the clinic that they had, you know, um, if, if they had any genetic test results and they themselves felt that if they did have a mutation, then, then they should know so that they could disclose that. But like, that is like so much to expect for a donor to, that's I yeah that that's very surprising to hear uh I mean I love that personal responsibility like way to go those donors high fives all around but yeah that that's not but it's so few and far between like very few and far between okay yeah well is this are are so are those all the things that I'm a carrier for is that are those is that my okay that that's it so so like I said we can deal with that we can work with that okay yeah yeah all right this is, yes. I mean, I was, my, my biggest fear was you were going to turn to me and be like, Laura, I'm really sorry, but like you, you do to this, um, chocolate mutation, you can no longer have chocolate or you'll, you know, that was, I was like, I was like, what is she going to tell me? I can't do anymore. Like, Laura, you have, um, you have no more vodka syndrome. Like that is, that is what it's going to be. And I was just like, God damn it. So I'm like, okay. With what you've told me, I'm like, I can, I can deal with this. This is, this is, this is, we can work with this. And, um, okay. So as we have said, we're going to get, we're, we're going to get my, um, I'm going to hang up off this call and be like, Dave, you are going to get tested now. Um, (laughs) and he can get like the same panels that would it be good for him to do like the carrier panel? That's what we should do. Absolutely. He needs first and foremost carrier screening. Yeah. Okay. Because of of your results. Um, but then also, uh, if, if he has family history of anything, so, so there are really these, when we're thinking about family planning, there are these two categories. There's the, the recessive conditions that someone doesn't have a family history usually of. And so that's why everybody should be offered that testing, um, regardless of ancestry. And so those are the, the big carrier screening panels, or we, we call them expanded carrier screening. Okay. Um, so that's the, the, the recessive, the reproductive risk. And then there's the, what I think of it more as proactive or preventative. And that would be like the cancer syndromes, the cardio syndromes, um, the common conditions that affect people in adulthood, sometimes in pedi- in um, childhood, but mostly the adult onset conditions. And those are the conditions that I tend to focus on because um, I think it's really important when you are family planning to know that because if you do have one of these high risk gene mutations that like, let's say if you have a BRCA mutation or Lynch syndrome, which is another cancer syndrome, then you can actually do IVF and, um, and screen out the basically create embryos and then select embryos that do not have that mutation to ensure that that condition doesn't get passed on. So to me, it feels like a missed opportunity when you're family planning to um, not know that information. So that that's kind of my unique view on it. So that's why I wanted, you know, to do the proactive stuff for you. 
but also the carrier stuff. So those are really the two parts that I recommend. And especially for somebody who doesn't have a family history that they know of doing a proactive panel, because like I said, you know, adopted or donor conceived or just doesn't know their family history, the proactive panel can really help at least rule out the common, you know, hereditary conditions because there's no family history. So again, it equals the playing field a little bit for mm -hmm. people who are for not only for their own health, but also for the opportunity to then not pass that on to a child. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So if, if your partner has a known family, like if he knows his family history and it's pretty clear and we're pretty sure about that, then he may not need to do that. But if he wants to do the proactive one, we can talk about it. Um, if there is family history of something, then we can talk about that too. But, um, but for sure the carrier screening needs to be done. Okay. Amazing. I, all right. I love this. And you know, Dina, um, obviously, I, if anybody is interested in um, doing this as well with you, whether they are donor conceived, whether they're an adoptee, an NPE, a recipient parent, or just somebody who's really interested in learning more about their genetics, how do they find you? Yeah, great. So I have a private practice that's telemedicine. So I do this way, you know, via, via Zoom um, called Malibu Genetics. And I can see people in uh, multiple states. I wonder where you're located. <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually a little bit north of Malibu, but okay. I, I liked the the whole feeling of, you know, the luxury wellness, like um, full service, you know, uh, genetic. Instant think of palm trees. That's all I think exactly. of it. Exactly. And yes. my logo is a palm tree helix. Like, have Very you seen the logo? All right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, you can see me that way. Um, I will, the, the, the issues, I don't take insurance, but I can provide a super bill. I have pretty reasonable rates, especially for people who um, are, again, no, who don't know their family history. I have different rates because there, there's like, there's, it's a different uh, structure of, of what I'd be doing. So, okay. um, so I have uh, an, and insurance never covers that. So almost never covers it for people who just want like a proactive panel. So yeah. that's why I've worked with some of the labs to try and get uh, like a good deal for those patients. Um, and then if you do know some of your family history, there are genetic counselors that, uh, or, or you're just wanting a carrier screen, regardless of if you know family history or not, you can get that covered by insurance and there are genetic counselors all over the country. There's 5,000 of us in North America. Um, and so you can go to findageneticcounselor.com. Um, but yeah, if you want to see me for one, like what I did with Laura, then malibugenetics.com. Um, and okay. I'm happy. To, and if I can't see you because there's state licensure, so I can only see people in certain states. There's a handful of states I can see them in. If I can't see you, then I can find somebody that can see you. Okay. And then, uh, and this was something we covered in, I think the first episode, but I'd love to cover it again. Cause I've, I've gotten this question doing genetic testing with you. Is that going to affect somebody's health insurance? Ah, great question. So in the United States, there are laws at the state and federal level that prohibit, um, genetic discrimination for someone that does not have a condition, but has a predisposition based on their genetic results. And so that law is called GINA, the genetic information, non-discrimination act. 
and um, and it prohibits health insurance and employers from discriminating against somebody. So that's like if you are asymptomatic, you don't have symptoms, but you have a predisposition to, let's say, um, a, a cardiac a cardio syndrome or a uh, tumor syndrome, then um, you were covered by Gina. Um, and so your employer cannot um, hire or fire, make any hiring or firing decisions based off that. Um, your health insurance can't raise rates or deny coverage, but it doesn't apply to life insurance or disability or long-term care insurance. So they are allowed to ask if you've had genetic testing and you would have to disclose that. Otherwise it's insurance fraud. So I usually tell people before they do a genetic test and, and I should also say this is for not for carrier screening because carrier screening is not um, it's talking about like the, it's more for reproductive planning, but for the other type of testing, that's for your own health. Mm-hmm. That's where this is an, it can be an issue. So I usually tell people to take out a life insurance if they're ever planning on taking life insurance. Some people don't want it at all. But if you do want it to think about taking it out before you get your genetic test so that you have a plan locked in place. So that's usually what I, you know, uh, just something to think about before you do any genetic testing. Amazing. All right. Um, Oh, one more thing for you. No, oh my God. Yeah. No, 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 this is not bad. This is okay. Oh shit. <laughs> this is just okay. I, I I I because I'm a, a cancer genetic counselor by training, I always go over to make sure like what what the population screening is to make sure, sure. that you know that. So because you don't have a known um uh like uh, well, there's no because there's no genetic the genetic test did not reveal that you have an increased risk for anything related to cancer. Um, you would be doing uh, screening based on any known family history and then any personal history. And so looking at what we do have, um, you have a grandparent who had melanoma. And so, and then you have a light, you know, lighter skin, you, you have moles, right? So it's going to be really important. I can't remember. Do you see a dermatologist every year? Yes. Great. And you do, and they do the mole mapping. Do they look at your mole? Perfect. Okay. So- Highly recommend, you know, you'll continue with that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm looking at your family history now, what we have. And then, so uh, in terms of breast risk, it, there's no reason to think that you have an increased risk. So you'll do the typical screening, which is a amazing. I don't have to start doing mammograms early, yeah. which I love because they don't sound pleasant. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and also, but you, what you should be doing is everybody with breasts should be doing self breast exams. Um, and there's some conflicting evidence on it, but, uh, it's always a good idea to just know your breasts and know what's normal. And then if you do find a lump or you feel anything off, you have pain, you have nipple discharge, then make sure you go see a doctor, um, and let them know, because when you know you're normal, then you also can tell when something is not normal. Yeah. So um, I like to think of it as like breast awareness. Um, and- breast awareness, everybody. Yes. Become yes. familiar with your boobies. Yes. Or your and- partner's boobies. But I should also say like men can get breast cancer too. So um, so if there's any lumps anywhere on the chest, you know, 
anybody should go in and get that checked out okay. uh, as soon as possible. Um, so, but other than that, if you don't have any lumps, everything's looking good, then you'll just do the normal screening that's recommended, which is, um, you know, the mammograms at 40. And then in terms of colon cancer, because I always think about colon cancer risk in people too. Again, you have no there's nothing saying that you um, would have an increased risk. So you'll do population screening for that. Um, and depending on your institution, it's usually about 45 that we start um, okay. or between 40 and 45, depending on which guidelines yeah. you're looking at. Um, and that's with colonoscopies every 10 years, or there's some other options too, for people that are at average risk that are not appropriate for people who have high risk, but you don't have high risk at this point. Um, and then the, you're going to be doing your pap smears in the increments that your gynecologist tells you to be doing them. Um, and that's for cervical cancer specifically. Yes. So that's just for cancer of the cervix. I literally just did a pap smear. So huzzah Perfect. for me. You're good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Um, and then the, yeah, so those are the main like population screens, that you would, you know, that I'd want to make sure. And I'm going to put all this in your note because I'm going to write up a note that summarizes all your results. And then- Good, I was about to say, like, I don't remember how, like 90% of the things that you told me. I yeah. I know there was a fever one um, yeah. and cystic fibrosis, but that's about it. So I, yeah. I'm very, I definitely need a written copy so that I Absolutely, can... you're going to get, and there's, there's several, because I did this in several reports, you're going to get the reports from the lab. I'm going to release them so you can get okay. them from the portal. Um, and then- You'll also, um, I'll give you the copy of the notes that I took from last time too. Um, and so I'll just put it all in one big letter and then I love that, it. yeah, that, so that'll be good. Um, and what else? I just want to make sure I'm going over everything. Um, so we talked about the, the cancer screening, uh, and then, yeah, the melanoma stuff in safe, safe sun exposure. If I didn't say that sunscreen, sunscreen, you know, I already have sunscreen on right now that are protecting me Perfect. from my little, my little podcast lights. Yeah, that's so funny. That's great. That's so good. Yes. So, yeah. No, I, um, I am 100% a sunscreen girly. Yes. Yeah. No, I, my, I, I joke that my Crayola color is cadaver. So I, I've been wearing sunscreen <laughs> for a very long time every day. No. Well, that's yeah. good. It's really good. And really, actually, everybody should wear SPF regardless of your skin yeah. color. But but yeah, I mean, when you burn easier, it's not fun to have, you know, a lot of burn. So yeah, when you glow in the dark like a fucking light bright because <laughs> of how pale you are, that you are you need to be a sunscreen person. That is who you are. You know, prime me up. Yeah. 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 Um, great. So it sounds like you're doing all the stuff that you should be doing right now. Um, and there's nothing that we're going to add to your screening. Now, okay. the other thing to the pituitary math, because we still don't know what caused that, um, obviously you want to look for any other symptoms of that. Um, make sure that, you know, you have your doc, like your doctor's aware of that history. Um, and if you do have any really abnormal symptoms or abnormal medical issues that pop up that are unexplained, making sure that whoever's assessing you knows about that history. So Dina, hypothetically, like, let's say, um, so I'm a carrier for cystic fibrosis, right? So mm -hmm. what happens if we find out that Dave is also a carrier for cystic fibrosis? Sure. Great question. So, um, so if you carry, um, one copy of a mutation, 
in the CFTR gene, and he does too, then the two of you would have a 25% chance for each child um, that they would inherit both abnormal copies. So if, do you remember Punnett squares from biology class way back in the day? No. <laughs> okay, okay, well, totally fine. A lot of people will remember that, but basically the chances of a ch an, an each child inheriting no mutation is 25%. The chances of them being a carrier is 50%. And the chance of them having cystic fibrosis is 25%. So um, because that chance is high, there are really, there are two big options um, when it comes to avoiding passing this down. So the first that we talk about in many cases is um, getting pregnant naturally and testing a fetus very, very early to see if they have cystic or they would have that disease. Um, and if they do, some people will decide at that point to terminate the pregnancy, but that's not the right um, option for everybody. It's not a, an easy option by any means. Um, and it also depends on what state you're in these days, if that's even an, an option. So the second option is usually much uh, easier for, well, it's not easy, but it's uh, a different option for people, which is doing IVF mm -hmm. um, with something called pre-implantation genetic testing um, for monogenic conditions. So PGTM, and that allows us to, uh, it allows a, a couple to create embryos and then look at the embryos and um, only implant ones that are not affected with the disease in question. Um, so that's a way to then also ensure that uh, that you have a, a child that does not have the condition in question. Um, so those are op options. And then the other options that we always present also are, you know, um, donor egg or donor sperm um, or adoption. Those are the other, you know, ways that we sometimes will uh, present that. that. But, um, but if you are trying to have, if you're first, if if you are trying to have a child that's um, like genetically or biologically from you guys, then the, the IVF with PGTM is a really good option. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. I like it. We have action <laughs> items, but Dina, thank you. This is huge. Um, This is massive. And I mean, this was, Again, I, I am a donor. I'm one of the donor conceived people who has nothing. My, my, there was nothing. There was no donor number. There was nothing. I hadn't, we, there was no carrier screen. There was nothing that my donor tested for. So the fact that like, I have this now is a piece of it. I now have something tangible and that's huge. Um, and so thank you for at least giving me at least I have, I have, I have a little step. I got a baby piece of that puzzle and I'm going to take that piece of the puzzle. And it would, it's enough information that we can at least get my husband tested for um, the same things and, you know, be safe. And that's awesome. So thank you so much. Um, and everybody go follow Dina at D Dina DNA. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. D E N A, not D I N A. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Dina, yeah. one E and yeah. Dina, thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm really happy I could do this for you. And I, and um, I think I mentioned earlier, but these are some of my favorite uh, cases to work with, because I do feel that it's pretty unfair that people, you know, can't yeah. get insurance to cover testing when they don't have 
a family history of something. And I look forward to the day when everyone can just get the same big test and just yeah. know the information for themselves. So I like to provide that while we are waiting for that day to come, right? Um, As it should. Because what well, we need more... Yeah we are in my in the perfect world of you know medicine and i mean you know we have a long ways to go till our 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 medical system is like fair and stuff but um i think you know switching more into preventative care then uh-huh. is is absolutely the way to go and it seems like this is a big piece of it that yeah. we could absolutely be doing so i'm i'm right there with you and and actually i should mention too there are two options for people. I forgot to mention these two other options. So um, there's a study going on right now called All of Us, which is for people that live in the United States. And they're trying to offer basically the same panel for all these different people. They're trying to diversify the genomic database. So they're trying to offer it to a lot of people that are even non-European so that they can really get a good idea of normal variation in different ancestry groups. Um, But anybody can do it. It's free. You sign up. It's through the government. Um, And it's, it's not as extensive of a panel as what we did, but it's still pretty good. And it's like I said, it's no cost. So for people who, who just want to enroll in this database, um, it is some, it is an option uh, that's all of us. Um, and I think if you look it up, it's like .gov or something, cause it's okay. government funded. Um, so that's one thing. And <laughs> there was something else I wanted to mention too. Now I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> I hate that. I know. I, 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 I swear sometimes they, my thoughts just, just, just tumble out of my head. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing? Yeah, no. Okay. I guess, yeah, we can cut that part out. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So the last part, um, that I just like the last piece of advice for anybody that wants this testing mm-hmm. is that if you, again, if you can't get your doctor to order it and, and you're talking to somebody like a genetic counselor who, who says, you know, this won't be covered. Um, just asking about financial aid and then also just saying you're willing to pay out of pocket. Um, There are more tests like this that are coming out and there's something called, oh, this is what I was going to say. There's something called um, healthy genomes or healthy exome testing, which actually looks at all the different coding regions of a gene. And it's kind of newer and it's going to be pricier, but I do see that as being an option in the future for people who who truly just want to know everything they can for people who are true info seekers and just want to be as preventative as possible. Um, so that's something that I'm looking in as, as we learn more about these types of tests and as the tests get better and less expensive, I'm going to start offering those in my practice as well. And I think other genetic counselors will too. Um, so, so that's another thing to just look forward to on the horizon is that, um, the, the better our technology gets, the more, we can learn. And so once you test once you can, you could, that that's great. Um, and that can be, you know, give you a lot of peace of mind, but if you want to keep, if you do keep testing, then you have the opportunity to, to learn more and more. And I'd say usually like every like five years probably is a good increment okay. of when to update testing. Um, just and it's not something you have to do, but it's for people again, people who just want as much information as possible. It is yeah. an option, and I like to cater to those people because I think it's like I said, it's it's fair to 
to not to just want to know and to want to do it in a way that is healthy and ethical. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dina, thank you so much. And thank you for this information. And uh, I'm going to go upstairs right now and (laughs) tell Dave to get ready to go spit in a tube. Um, Question for you. One more question for you. How are you feeling now versus how you were feeling in the beginning of the call? Oh, uh, I feel, I, I feel good. I feel better. I feel like, okay. Um, no, I, I, yeah, no, I feel, I feel a lot better. Education is power. It is. Knowledge is power. Totally. Knowledge is power. Everybody I always like to check in. I always like to check in because I know these, the beginning of a results call can be really anxiety provoking, but typically people, even with positive results, they actually feel better at the end of the call because they can talk through, ask questions and feel like they have a plan. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you're feeling good. I'm feeling very good. And thank you. Thank you to Dina DNA. And thank you <laughs> to everybody else who's listening. Um, I will see you all next week. Go be awesome. Go be amazing. Please go follow Dina and let's, yeah, let, let's go be, let's go be awesome. I'm, I'm going to go take a few deep breaths now because that was weirdly nerve wracking, but I feel a lot better. Um, so, whew, all right. Have a great day, everyone. And thank you, Dina. Thank you.